This is Creators in Vietnam with Tuesi and Moni. We aim to inspire you on your journey by interviewing creative entrepreneurs across Vietnam who make a positive impact on their community and their own lives. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Okay. Welcome back to Creators in Vietnam. I'm Moni, and today I'm here with my co-host Tuesi and hey. Van. Hi, Van. Welcome to Creators. Welcome, in- welcome. Vietnam. <laughs> hey guys, nice to be here. So today we are here with Van, who is a French Vietnamese. Um, he is the school director of the French bakery La Boulangerie Française, <laughs> which is a vocational training center funded by the French NGO called IECD. So we are very excited to have him here because actually you can taste their pastries all around Saigon, for example in summer every Saturday. And now we got to interview the person behind nice. that organization. So this vocational training center have already trained over 60 young Vietnamese from vulnerable background through this nonprofit initiative. And I think I'm going to let Van explain a little bit more what Boulangerie Francaise is actually doing mm-hmm. in terms of training, their products and everything. So Van, I'm, give, I'm giving you the stage. Well, thank you very much for the opportunity. So, uh, yeah, I do hope this uh, this discussion is going to make some of you listeners salivate a little bit. <laughs> um, yeah. It's a, it's a definitely a, a very beautiful project that I've had the luck to be part of. Uh, it's an ongoing project since uh, 1999. Oh, wow. So it, it's a beautiful journey where a young Frenchman uh, in his final year of uh, university decided to help an orphanage and their beneficiaries to find a trade and they decided why not bakery mm-hmm. as a way to sustain their lives mm-hmm. uh, to earn an income and uh, that's the genesis of the Hue French Bakery School. Uh, so it started from Hue if yeah. I understood correctly so that person What's his name again, the person who founded it? So his name is Thomas Beagle. Yeah, Thomas Beagle. He founded in Hue and his focus was training, um, let's say, underprivileged, or I don't know how to call like... Uh, so it started out with orphans. Yeah, with orphans. Uh, young boys in an orphanage, you know, in Vietnam, when they reach um, a certain age, uh, yeah. they can no longer be housed and they, they have to fend for themselves. I see, yeah. So uh, the idea is uh, empowerment, help them find a job. At the time, late 90s, early 2000, yeah. development of the tourism industry in yeah. the central part of Vietnam, mm-hmm. um, bakery definitely seemed to be uh, a good way to go. So the kids are going there and they're basically learning all the French bakery secrets. And then after they graduate, they basically positioned to in Hue and also different part of Vietnam to other bakeries to continue the apprenticeship. Am I, am I correct? Yes, absolutely. That's absolutely correct. We have a few success stories with like uh, former beneficiaries of the Hue school mm-hmm. uh, who turn out to be pastry chefs in some of the most prestigious establishments in Vietnam. Oh, very nice. Any any big names that we should know about? Um uh, so, not necessarily our alumni, but mm-hmm. Intercon Danang has had uh, our alumni. And Very nice. It's, yeah, it's, a, it's one of the most prestigious places in Vietnam. Very nice. And how do you reach actually the kids 
into this program? Like how you have different contacts with different orphanages across Vietnam or how do you recruit, recruit new so people? Since 1999, the project has evolved quite a bit. Mm -hmm. So Ho Chi Minh City is uh, the second training center that we've established here in Vietnam. And uh, what we decided to do is we took the proof of concept that Hue was, upgraded it, uh, expanded it mm -hmm. as well. So now we get to uh, have the students on site at the dormitory, at the boarding school. We recruit also young girls uh, who were formerly excluded from the Hue mm -hmm. uh, school by history from the, from the original partnership. Mm -hmm. And uh, the way we operate now is that we try to be as inclusive as possible. Mm -hmm. and uh, to reach out as far as possible as well. So now with the school, we've been able to uh, recruit students from over 40 different provinces in oh, Vietnam. That's nice. And that's uh, in great part thanks to uh, the dormitory mm -hmm. yeah. that we have on site, uh, which is a facility provided by our partner, which is the Tudor College of Technology. Very nice. How many, how many students, are we calling them students or trainee or how do we call, how do we call them, sorry? We call them students. Students? So how many students or do you have? Or apprentices, right? actually. Uh, apprentices sounds much better, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so how many apprentices do you have right now? We actually train 20 every year. 20 so, every year, so yes. It's a very, it's a numerous closest. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's a very small amount. But then at the same time, what we aim to do is we really want to train the best apprentices in bakery and pastry in Vietnam. I see, so yeah. the best of the generation. Mm. Uh, I see. And it's a whole year curriculum. It's a whole year curriculum. It's 12 months mm -hmm. at school as, a, as an apprenticeship with our trainers. Mm -hmm. And then they go and intern uh, for six months on the market with oh, employers nice. that we've vetted. And usually nine times out of 10, it turns into full-time employment. That's so oh, nice. That's really nice. That's very nice. And when did you join the adventure? I've been at the helm of the project for now. Three years. Three years, yeah. Mm -hmm. The school has been operating for four here in Ho Chi Minh City. I see, yes. And uh, what we try to do is to, to replicate, to emulate the philosophy of the Hui School, which is a fine balance between empowering youth and running a social business at the same time. Empowering um, youth and running a social business. This is interesting. What, what is the balance that is to find? So every day... The practice of the students mm -hmm. is high, high quality, actually. Mm -hmm. uh, it would be such a waste, you know, to throw that to the bin. Yes. Uh, so what we're trying to do is to monetize the practice, the daily practice of the students by selling it to the market. Mm -hmm. And every single dong revenue that's generated mm -hmm. actually contributes directly back to the program. That's so nice. the fine balance that we're trying to achieve is to reach financial stability so that mm -hmm. the program can pay for itself. That's nice. Oh, that's and nice. so I've heard at the beginning that you were selling in Soma. Um, Soma I every think Soma Sunday you or? have a testing. So Soma is yeah. one of our outlets. Uh, this is one of our favorite places in, in Saigon. And this mm -hmm. is where uh, we have the opportunity to be close to the customers. So yeah. those who know us uh, will come, say hi, get to see the students, get mm -hmm. to talk to the students I as well see, yeah. and have a sense of uh, what it is that we're doing mm -hmm. at La Boulangerie Française. But Soma as a long-term partner is also one of our customers. Mm -hmm. uh, as they use our bread and they use our pastries for their daily menu. Oh, um, oh nice. Soma, I mean, Green Box and Soma being... Yeah. Uh, Any other places that we can have access to 
your uh, boulangerie française apprentices uh, product <laughs> <laughs> have you ever been to uh, petit second petit second oh yeah the the garden yeah the yeah, nd1 the, in um, in is district it? two is a fine dining uh, yeah. French restaurant, oh, yeah. uh, a sister establishment to, to Le Corto. It's managed by the mm, same French yeah. uh, chef, and we've been actually developing products uh, for their uh, dinner menus. That's very so, nice. Um, if you've been there, there's a, there's a high chance that you, you've had ah, some yeah, bread yeah. made by the students themselves. That sounds really nice. And what a school director is doing on a day-to-day basis. <laughs> in- <laughs> it's a very schizophrenic position. Uh, <laughs> because not only do I have to uh, uh, take care of the training center per se, I also act as the business developer. And I, mm-hmm. I struggle a bit because uh, I do feel that these two positions are mutually exclusive. Yeah. One requires me to be at school with my students and mm-hmm. the other requires me to be on the market with the customers. Yes. Yeah. That's, that must be hard. One of them is the day-to-day grind and the other is like, you know, the let me go and hunt. <laughs> it it feels know, a bit like, like that. You, it feels you, a bit you, like you, that. You yes. take care of the house and you go hunt for food at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> Those are two diff- very different hats indeed. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So how do you juggle with this? Like a single dad. Like a single dad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, do, I do have the feeling that joining the, uh, joining the program, I suddenly became the dad to mm-hmm. uh, 20 children. Yeah. yeah and uh, nice. they, they give it back to me. Um, mm-hmm. It's really a pleasure to be able to come to school, see them, see mm-hmm. their smiles, see those little faces and their, yeah. those um, baker hats in the bakehouse yeah. practice. Ooh. And, what and is really the age? The, trade. the age range that you're accepting apprentices is from what age to what age? So it's 18 to 23, actually. Ah, so they're we, young yeah. adults. Yeah, they're young, young adults. adults. But we, we take them from quite vulnerable backgrounds. Mm-hmm. What do you qualify as a vulnerable background in Vietnam? So um, what we'll do is we'll actually try and assess directly their family revenues, mm-hmm. their academic achievements or lack of yeah. the household mm-hmm. and we'll analyze we'll try to uh, to assess the household yeah uh, the houses in which mm-hmm. they live and uh, every year we open the recruitment twice a year to uh, a batch of 10 students and uh, what we'll do is uh, we will select those who have had the least opportunity in life i see yeah I see. on average what that means is uh, we recruit students usually from deep in the countryside mm-hmm. um, with families earning south of five million dong a month mm-hmm. and five to six mouth to feed. I yeah. see. Yeah. 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 That does make sense. Yeah. That's yeah. A... I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's very, very, very respectful what you're doing. I mean, like you don't need my respect. On <laughs> <laughs> but I, it's, it's quite nice. It's quite nice. Yeah. So you have 60 kids so far. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's how it feels like. Yeah, that's yeah, how it a feels big family. Like. <laughs> very and, nice. And some and of them are very yeah. close to us too. Really, they'll come back. Uh, they'll share the experience oh, also with the new generations, and uh, yeah, yeah we, we try to keep tabs uh, yeah. with all of our students. Is there uh, is there a way maybe on your website or anything like this that you can like maybe read about all their stories or do you yeah. have something like uh, this? We, we we regularly actually write about success stories yeah. on our Facebook. One of the most recent one is probably young uh, a young boy um, whose older brother actually in a way sacrificed himself by working super hard 
for the family mm -hmm. to give him the time to study at our school oh, wow. so that uh, once he gets the job then his brother can in turn <laughs> find some training yes and uh, that way there's i think there's a, a strong sense in that family that uh, education yeah. and training is extremely valuable yeah to the family oh, nice. and to the future Oh, that's really nice. Goosebumps. I had a little goosebumps here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so anyone who buys uh, from Boulangerie Francaise, so you know, you're going to supporting these amazing children in uh, and the opportunities in life. Yeah. And I want to actually learn more about you, mm -hmm. Van. Um, so we, you used to work in corporations in the past. I usually say I've done... <laughs> three evil corporation industries. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Many of us have to go through that. Luckily, I only oh. did one, but three, you know, you have... What were you the industries? <laughs> what were those evil industries? Oh, I've done banking, <laughs> I've done automotive, okay, and yeah. I've done pharmaceuticals. I usually say now oh, yeah. I just need uh, defense <laughs> and tobacco. Yeah. <laughs> so how, how did you start it in your early career? So when you were a kid, you were like an innocent child. What were you, what were you dreaming of <laughs> when you are going to grow up? I was uh, always a very obedient kid. I grew up in, uh, in France. And my parents emigrated from Vietnam in the 60s. And I've, I've been lucky to come from a relatively wealthy family. Yeah. Um, a bit of Sorry, I cut you off. I'm so rude. I'm sorry. But so if they came in the 60s, they came before the war. So the, yes, absolutely. So what so are the privileged for, conditions that they came? They, they came for education. Nice. So um, university mm -hmm. at the time, all the, all, all the rich families, yeah, all the, yeah, yeah. The, the wealthy families in Vietnam had hopes that their children would go and study abroad and then return back to Vietnam. Mm -hmm. It was right at this time when history decided otherwise <laughs> yes. and and the way back was cut off yeah, uh, yeah from under yeah. The, my parents uh, feet so eventually they settled in france mm -hmm. so this is just to explain that i came uh, i was brought up in a relatively conservative family mm -hmm. with a strong i would say sense of vietnamese identity yeah. and vietnamese values or at least what i thought they were Yes. Okay. So um, I grew up with this very fantasized sort of stories of what Vietnam was, yes. I assume, yeah. which has nothing to do with what I've witnessed so far. I'm curious, <laughs> what did you assume of Vietnam? So uh, my parents being quite privileged, it was always about being conformist. It was education above all. Yeah. It was the pride to be Vietnamese and it was family values, like very Confucian yeah. uh, family values. Those have carried on from what I've witnessed to some mm -hmm. degree, but I would say Vietnam has developed in, in the past decades to emulate perhaps more what I've experienced in China uh, when I lived there. Yeah. Yeah, this is interesting. This is a deeper conversation, definitely. <laughs> it's, it's, it's very interesting because part of my family came before the war too. Mm -hmm. There is definitely a part of the culture that obviously with the war disappeared. And then there is that the Vietnamese pride, I think, got replaced with, especially for the Vikio community that came after the war, was replaced very quickly by Vietnamese pain mm -hmm. and anger, you know, like the whole the whole shebang. And that, that really influenced the, uh, the, the 
the, that culture. So I can, it's very interesting because I haven't met a lot of people that when you told me their parents came in the 60s, I've never met this in France. Mm. Like we, most of us came, my father came a year before 73 or something like this. So it was already before the war or mm. during. So very privileged already to be able to travel to France at that time. And so it really, it's really interesting. Yeah. So maybe growing up in that environment, how did you imagine your life to fall out? <laughs> well, I didn't have to imagine it. My parents imagined it for me. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. it was always, uh, you know, straight A's at school. It was always about making sure I would get into uh, uh, a good university mm-hmm. back home and uh, I've obliged my parents. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've given them what they wanted and uh, I truly thought this is also what I wanted back then. Uh, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say it was it was not my calling. I would say I'm pretty comfortable being able to work in many different industries and I think uh, that transpired in me being able to work in different countries, different positions, different companies as well. Mm-hmm. But then in more recent years, uh, deep down it was more about well, who am I doing this for? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you know where the switch came from? Probably working in large industries, mm-hmm. large companies with uh, heavy momentum, things that take a long time, you know, to develop, uh, typically banking and, and automotive. Uh, I could not see what my work amounted to. I see. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. You, what was your position? Kind of I like was actually responsible for scouting uh, merger and acquisition targets mm. in Southeast Asia for an American equipment manufacturing uh, company in the automotive industry. And um, what made you think that th- there's no purpose in all of that mergers and acquisitions out there? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it was uh, right at this shift where uh, we started talking about electrifying the automotive industry, um, a lot of shift towards Western countries regarding carbon footprint and Mm. uh, whether automotive was the answer to the future. And I was still stuck in this industry um, painting a world picture based on how many cars we sell Mm. and Mm. to equate that to development. And that's, I would say, probably the first click. (laughs) Yeah. So you were looking for meaning, deeper meaning for your life. <laughs> there must have been, I'm, I'm trying to scratch the surface here, where there must have been an emotional moment or something that happened in your life that I, I feel that I want, I want you to talk about. <laughs> you know, comparing development to numbers of cars is one thing, but was there an event in your life on an emotional level that made you just go, oh shit, what am I doing here? I would say no. Yeah, not in that sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been lucky enough to be quite grounded and to be able to find a path or to find a reason mm-hmm. uh, for what I'm doing. It was just a, for me a matter of now I'd like to shift. I see. Um, it's not entirely, I would say, a 180 degree turn. A lot of people ask me mm-hmm. whether shifting from corporate to nonprofit, for example, was a painful change and i usually say that it is not because what i get to do actually is still get to do business development Mm -hmm. but on the part of the social enterprise and that has anchored a stronger belief uh, 
that money is not a problem, profit mm-hmm. is not a problem, but it's more about what you do with it. Yeah, so like uh, you made through a very incremental change, I say, because you've been through like three corporations until you came to <laughs> that's right uh, an NGO. Yeah, so I'm, right. I'm curious about the, that incremental process. Like every time, what did you question yourself to make like a tiny shift toward another big company mm-hmm. in a another big <laughs> industry, so from banking to automotive and to automotive to <laughs> pharmaceuticals. Um, I mean, I used to work in a company that deal with international taxation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I see the point of the value of international taxation because, you know, they are companies, people mm-hmm. need to need to have information on tax. But still, at the end of the day, I question, like, um, really, what's the point <laughs> of me doing this uh, marketing job for this purpose? Like, do I identify myself with this purpose, this goal? Or I, I just at the end of the day, I felt completely alienated with what the company mission is and what my mission in life. So how did you process that in your career jumps uh, over the years? Well, when I started in banking, I thought, well, you know, easy money, finance. <laughs> uh, but then uh, I quickly realized that a lot of it was purely magical. It's like suddenly you do something at the bank and money comes down. Uh, but where does it come from and what is it being uh, supported by? We don't really know. It feels magical. Yeah. So I wanted something a bit more grounded. And then I moved to the automotive, automotive industry. So metalwork, uh, resources, mm-hmm. manufacturing footprints, people, cars. So you want to touch so Things. I wanted something a bit more uh, tangible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but then it came at a shift when I went from fantasizing about sports car and, you know, playing Gran Turismo on PlayStation as a kid <laughs> to realizing that actually, you know, I don't want to own a car. I don't want a car at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, uh, it's such a burden. And I felt that I was not helping by selling more cars mm-hmm. to countries where road is so small that it's making absolutely no sense. Yes. And so I was like, okay, let's stop it there. Let's find another journey. Mm-hmm. I had a one and a half year break uh, that eventually led me to, all right, let's work for people and let's work in health and let's do better for the Vietnamese healthcare sector. And so I worked in medical devices, Mm -hmm. but I was again in a position when it was more about selling than actually uh, benefiting the patients. And Mm -hmm. uh, without being too political, I did come across uh, certain ethical concerns in the healthcare sector, or at least the public healthcare sector Mm -hmm. in Vietnam, which again led me to believe that mm, this might not be the place for me. Mm -hmm. either and moving on growing up from these past experiences um, I was actually quite lucky to come across IECD and the French bakery at a time of transition at Mm -hmm. the time that the project needed to shift its uh, orientation towards business development Mm -hmm. which has been my driver my entire career and so now i get to apply my skills to the school yeah so you've been a business developer like all along 
until now. That's right. It just uh, you just needed to find like okay for what I want to do business development, and then yeah, and at the end you decide like okay this is the cause you relate to, and for that I want to do business development. Yes, absolutely. What did you do during your one and a year, one and a half year break? Oh, I was a photographer. <laughs> I was a photographer. Yeah. I traveled around, and uh, my purpose was to connect with people. My mm-hmm. purpose was to take portraits, yeah. but with the approach that uh, no more sneaky portraits from afar. Go yes. and actually talk to people, learn mm-hmm. who they are, and uh, be aware of the differences, but also the similarities. Mm-hmm. So I concluded this gap year with a photography exhibit back in Paris, uh, where the idea was to be able to show two pictures of two opposite people in two opposite areas of the mm-hmm. world, but built or uh, photographically constructed the in same, similar yeah. ways, just to remind people that we may be different, but we actually aspire to the same things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very beautiful. Still doing photography? Still doing photography, That's but now nice. I do it for croissant and <laughs> and baguettes. Yes, and, uh, yeah. it's very nice, very inspiring. I studied photography in university for four years, so I haven't touched a camera since then. <laughs> Super inspiring. I have another question. Sorry to go back to the relationship between you and your parents, because you said like you know you did whatever your parents wanted you to do. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit when did that stop, or when you felt that you you made your own choices? When did that happen? So my parents are old. That's going to uh, that's going to be, I would say, uh, a key element to to understand that once my parents start to reach, you know, their mid sixties and they start mm-hmm. to to retire, their shift in life also changed, and so did their expectations for me. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have to uh, rebel. Mm-hmm. against their wishes or their expectations. They just organically gave me more freedom mm-hmm. uh, to explore as long as, you know, you remain a reasonable kid and mm-hmm. you still try to do the best that you can. So uh, I believe that uh, my choices have been reasoned. Very good. Um, and I mean, you didn't do anything too bad. You changed from banking, then automotive, then healthcare. <laughs> Every parents would be so proud, you know. <laughs> I've been looking around. <laughs> what, what's the craziest stuff you've done in your 20s? <laughs> well, I, have, I have the feeling that the 20s, you know, they, they pass just like that. So it would be very, very hard to say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And is still a good relationship with your parents right now? Absolutely. They're actually yeah. very proud that I'm here in Vietnam. Yeah. Very good. Have they been back since? They have. They are the kind of uh, Vietnamese who are migratory birds. Mm. Avoid the winter in the West. I see. Uh, yeah. Enjoyed the dry seasons here in in Vietnam. And and so their view of Vietnam from what they were retelling you in your youth, uh, how did that? Uh, I'm sorry, I'm talking more. I should interview your parents. <laughs> <laughs> But like, how did that change, and how did they approach this? Because I'm very interested to see, like, you know, how well, uh, the Vietnam they knew doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, only pieces of history. So coming to Vietnam, it does feel foreign to them mm-hmm. uh, the landmarks are still here but the vibe is different yeah. so they come here they have to relearn how to live uh, but it's not too m- much of contrast so mm-hmm. um, they get to adapt relatively easily now they uh, order on grab they order on <laughs> they nice. can take in the technology turn yeah that's so nice oh that's super nice 
It seemed that you did grow up in a very grounded environment, which is I'm, I'm trying to 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 scratch the surface, but it seems you had a privileged environment, which is great. I was very lucky, <laughs> and and you you enjoyed those privileges to the way that you should have, and and mm -hmm. and you're looking for better meanings, and you're you're doing it. So there's just so much respect into that. Yeah. That's very good. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, to find the, the typical Vicky story that has problem with their parents and like, and <laughs> I won't actually, find this in here. It's, it's really cool that you kind of promoting vocational training mm -hmm. because you are coming from a, let's say a white collar background. I think we all have here at this, at this table. So how vocational training is actually perceived in Vietnam and how do you how do you also find it yourself like vocational training compared to what you had before like to be honest for example sometimes I feel like I would love to do something with my hands other than just sitting in front of the computer and in many countries vocational education is so underrated like carpentry for example it's an amazing skill but people just don't want to do it anymore and, and it's becoming forgotten over time and, and also being a baker it's i feel like it's such a nice job to do but everybody just like keep talking about yeah you should be a doctor in finance finance is useful you did finance you mm -hmm. know it's useful <laughs> it's magical magical <laughs> numbers appear <laughs> or healthcare pharmaceuticals it's a big industry in vietnam so how you your perceive vocational education and how in vietnam is perceived well my view is that vacation or craftsmanship entrepreneurship is a way to have a direct impact on either the community around you the local economy uh, as opposed to being a cog in a system and eventually being secluded in you know those so-called bs jobs uh, that you find so many of in the west i'm sure they're necessary at some degree Absolutely. in but, vietnam uh, for sure there are a lot of bs jobs yeah, when you were everywhere <laughs> when, when you work when you work you know for three months in a row to work on this uh, beautiful report that never gets shown uh, <laughs> eventually to the executive committee you wonder what your value actually is yeah. so you, you experienced a lot of a lot of that <laughs> yeah i also did <laughs> so I think um, everybody. to answer your question of uh, about vocational training i do feel it's uh, it's underrated but in the sense that we forget uh, that it's at the basis actually of our daily lives when in vietnam we think the service industry we think waiters um, but we tend to forget that actually all those phone numbers about a plumber an electrician yeah. these are all people who need skills unfortunately uh, there's no structures or there's a lack of structure for them to know their trade in the best way possible mm -hmm. in the safest way possible yeah. and i feel that this is where vocational training can be further developed definitely yeah i think vietnam needs it to be honest and also other parts of the world like today i just read an article on the economist about bs jobs and <laughs> how actually how limited we are in our creativity in when it comes to jobs like what my perception is and i also experience it on my own skin that security i mean the idea of security is so important like to have a fixed job and mm -hmm. every parents value that their children have a job in finance with a payroll every month with a fixed income coming in but there are just so many other options out there and 
being a baker, for example, you can open your own business, you can expand, you can create、mm. your own type of pastry. So, there are so many creative ways to actually、mm. make money at the end of the day because we all want to make money to actually buy time for ourselves.、Yeah. I、think, I think about、yeah. think about all the things that you actually need in life、mm-hmm. um, to fix your bike, to fix your electrical system at home,、mm. to avoid、uh, a fire. Isn't that essential to your security or even to your family's security?、Uh, fix plumbing issues in、mm. your old house.、Um, Establish a little garden、yeah. uh, in your in your、yeah. backyard. You-、uh, these I feel are. Essential, and most of us we've forgotten、mm-hmm. how to do it ourselves. Therefore, we do need these jobs. But specifically for the Vietnamese mindset and slash culture, how do you, how do you? Because it's a process of educating、uh, the next generation. Because like I, I see in Vietnam, for example, the older generation or my generation to the older generation is very much in the bandaid type of culture. Where it's like, let's just fix it for now. You know, oh, you need you don't need a plumber. You just need a bandaid. <laughs> And then, and then the what really matters, especially in in post-war generation, is really honor. Don't lose face. Don't, like you know, look good instead of being good. And and, and so, how do you educate?、Uh, even like you know, with the student, the apprentices that you have, what is the approach to tell them? Okay, like you know, like bandaid culture is one thing, honor is one thing, but then at the end, like you know, what we're teaching you is what is really essential. To the functioning of a society. So, how do you approach those things or those conversations? So, we go back to the core of what the trade is.、Mm-hmm. Uh, we try to teach the fundamentals. As soon as you understand what it is you're doing, eventually you will be able to fix things. But you will understand、uh, why and how you're doing it.、Mm-hmm. Um, besides the hard skills, we also have an entire curriculum of life skills、mm-hmm. uh, that we teach our students.、Uh, bear to mind that most of them come from vulnerable backgrounds, as I've mentioned before, meaning that they haven't been as lucky as we are course, in、yeah. uh, understanding how to deal with their emotions, understanding how to set a life for themselves in a big city. Mm-hmm. Um, and these are this content that we've created、uh, specifically for those students, for this audience, in order to help them move forward、mm-hmm. independently. Yeah, that's very nice. When you say life skills, like, can you give me a little idea of what that is? Like some of the subjects that you're approaching, I because、uh, it seems very interesting. What we try to do is basically to make them. Uh, positive actors in their own community,、mm. and so we'll gear our training towards skills like、uh, conflict management, teamwork.、Uh, these are、uh, very common, I would say, soft skills. But besides that, there's also education and knowledge.、Mm-hmm. How to read a contract,、um, how to understand how a loan works. So that、uh, you're not being、yeah. cheated by、uh, usurial、uh, interest rates、yeah. <laughs> uh, when you start your own business. That's nice. Little things that we tend to overlook,、uh, but are actually quite necessary to fending, you know, in life on your、mm-hmm. own. It must be hard to. I mean, I'm obviously I'm not I'm not part of the the whole enterprise. But it must be hard, also, like once they finish the program and they go back to their old environment. How do they sustain all this this teaching? Because sometimes, you know, bad habits persevere, and it's, they're only in touch with you for a year. So how do they 
continue and they especially going back to certain environment especially if it's if it's from like you know negative environment sometimes family can be negative mm -hmm. do you give them enough tools to go okay like you know you're going to go back there and it's going to be not how you remember it like you know it's going to be sometimes toxic and all those things so how do you gear them up to that it does happen yeah. but i would say most of the time there's a a good amount of work that is done uh, upstream with the family mm. uh, for them to support the education of their children within yes. the program so mm -hmm. there's a very very strong adherence to the program and we've seen that through covid out of the 20 students that we've had i would say uh 17 out of 20 went mm. back home and returned to school nice. which means That's that nice. despite the hardship despite mm -hmm. the crisis that each family may be facing there's mm -hmm. still a strong recognition in the value of the so training you're in contact with the family obviously then we are in the contact yeah. in contact with the family but yeah. what you mentioned um actually does happen uh, from time to time where the family we feel is trapping their children in a uh, vicious loop as opposed to a virtuous one yes and uh it's difficult uh it's difficult to to, to work these with these families but we keep um, engaging uh, with our former students to give them um, a sense of what's out there and to lift any potential barrier to applying for a new job somewhere mm -hmm. in the city for example uh, but uh, for the vast majority of our alumni as we mentioned their internship is usually their first employment yeah. they tend to stay there for a year or two uh, which is probably already longer than the average turnover in vietnam <laughs> yeah. and yeah. it is eye-opening for them i believe I so sure. um as soon as the family also reaps the direct result of their children being able to earn an income and send probably one third mm -hmm. uh, of what they earn back to the family. I'm sure that uh, it opens a lot of eyes and ears. Yeah, yeah. that's that's beautiful. It's super nice. Yeah, very I, nice. I really think that there is a demand for for this skill in Vietnam. I mean, no offense, Vietnam, but some of the Boulangerie is here, like the Vietnamese one. This is the, yeah. Actually, I wanted to ask this. this. is more a French question, but like as a, as a, both of us being French, truthfully, how good is the is the product? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's good enough that um, I will take every morning coffee as an opportunity to do quality control. Yeah, very good. Very good. Very good answer. <laughs> and it, and it, it doesn't become torture. It's like it's like nice. Very good. Yeah, because it's. It's actually the discussion that I've in I've lived in five different countries and it's always a challenge to go find a good croissant outside of France that is not costing me a leg in a like you know in Toronto a croissant a good croissant was five dollars <laughs> like <why>? <laughs> <laughs> and so it's it's really there is just a few spots here actually no bakery is becoming very more popular right here so it is a very trendy trade and that's yeah. where uh, I can't reap the credit for that but founder of the bakery uh, really had a nose for it but now consider also the development in other countries like china japan mm -hmm. uh, korea and how premium bakeries developing in these areas and how vietnam is following mm -hmm. suit Uh, yeah, nice. in terms of pop culture for example yeah. Yeah. then the question uh, the question rises which is uh, is it going to be the same are we going to see the same trends it seems uh, it, seems, it so. seems so Yeah. I'm curious that um, producing pastry in Vietnam is it more expensive compared to France, for example? Like, 
you know, check what's the price difference that I'm paying for. Because, you know, the croissant can cost 60000 sometimes, but sometimes it can be 30000 So <laughs> I want to understand. I think the one at Big the Top Market is like not even 30000 It's like, but it, I think it's the, yeah, it's obviously the, I, I'll let you answer because you're a part of this. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Um, the raw material that we have is actually from France. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Right. I think so that's the that's the that's the main problem. We actually yeah. use uh, flour mm -hmm. that is using French wheat. We actually uh, use butter that is made in Europe. Um, so it is important for us to be able to show our students what a good quality ingredient is, so that they have a benchmark at mm. least at the beginning of their careers. Whether they use okay. these products or not um, in the immediate future, yeah. that is up to the employers. Uh, but at least um, they've had a taste of what a good product tastes like, looks like, feels like. Mm -hmm. And uh, so the flour here is not good enough. Well, there's no flour. I mean, there's well, no there's yeah. no wheat. There's there's barely any wheat uh, in Vietnam. Mm. Uh, aren't we aren't we a rice country? <laughs> um, most of the wheat that is uh, imported is coming from America, Australia, or Europe. Ah, okay, yeah. That you have actors here who are milling mm -hmm. the the wheat to turn it into flour in order to localize the production. Uh, this is something that does help and it does mm -hmm. develop the local economy as well. Uh, so we do try in, in our selection of suppliers whenever possible to have local sourcing. Mm -hmm. But obviously, if we wanted to keep a French taste to the products, then um, there's a few things that we cannot cut corners on. It's very interesting. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm curious to taste the product now. <laughs> I tasted it. It's yeah. really good. Yeah, I saw the photos <laughs> that, like, the last time at the networking and I was like, oh, I didn't go. But yeah, yeah that's very I nice. I went, I think, two or three times. And uh, so <laughs> and the, the, the instructors are French uh, always the same or you try to like have a rolling crowd of instructors or guest instructors? Um, we're lucky in Saigon to um, have had the support from a French baker who's uh, Maître Boulanger, mm -hmm. uh, so Master Baker, Master Baker, uh, Master Pastry and Master Chocolate. Mm -hmm. uh, so he, he's, wow. he's wearing three hats yeah. and uh, he's been the one doing our development. Perfect, yeah. um, but he's not the one teaching the students. Yeah. So oh, who okay. are the ones teaching the students? They are actually former students. Yeah, alumni. Ah. Yes, that's nice. So um, our first trainer was actually an alumni from the Hue School. Oh, nice. And moving forward, we've uh, recruited uh, students from our first batch of students, mm. uh, a young woman from a third batch of student to, in turn, uh, become the trainers to the newer generations. That's so nice. That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. That's really nice. Yeah. I'm inspired. <laughs> I love yeah, we do believe that our students are the best wants to convey our values mm -hmm. and uh, the quality uh, that what uh, what we're trying to achieve yeah and how can people access uh, the pastries of la boulangerie française ah that's probably uh, the million dollar question <laughs> <laughs> the painful one too <laughs> we actually operate from a university campus 
So we're lucky through our partner to have a dedicated wing mm -hmm. where we can practice, where the organization has built uh, from the ground up uh, this very professional setup. Oh, nice. It's extremely clean. It looks new even after three years of operations. A lot of professionals, when they come, they're extremely and pleasantly uh, surprised Surprise. by the cleanliness um, of the place. Mm -hmm. And uh, for us, it's essential uh, to teach the students to maintain and keep their tools and mm -hmm. space properly and durably. Um, so that means that we operate from a location which is outside city center. Don't have a so-called bakery shop. Mm -hmm. uh, so what we do is we offer what we consider weekly bread basket straight to your home or your office. And so what you can do is you can let us know what it is that you think you're going to use for one week and mm -hmm. then we ship it to you. Uh, that way you don't have to rely on grab services, mm -hmm. which in my view, exploit precarious jobs, drivers, and yeah. it's absolutely environmentally unfriendly. Mm -hmm. So the stance that we take is uh, consume rationally, consume reasonably, yeah. favor quality products, and we'll send that to you wherever you are in the city. Um, oh, nice. That allows us to also pay for a young shipper who's employed by the French bakery, who is a former uh, grab bike, Mm -hmm. uh, but by working now with the French bakery, then I would say he has a, a more stable income and he's, uh, he's better off. Yeah. Amazing. Where do we find the packages or how do we order? Because I'll put in an order. <laughs> <laughs> well, follow the link. We have a website. Uh, yeah, we've, uh, we've built a website where you can learn a bit more about the school, mm -hmm. our values. Uh, nice. You can always read our stories on, on Facebook. Uh, but we have this e-shop that you can place uh, orders from. And nice. for that, we have a young admin who will be um, answering your requests and advising you on, uh, on what to get. Yeah. <laughs> Nice. And, and what's the mission going forward for, for the bakery? So what we hope to do is uh, we hope to also uh, reach more coffee shops in town mm -hmm. and offer the products of the bakery to, to a wider audience, also a Vietnamese audience, and educate them as to what uh, a, a good product, a good quality product should be. Mm -hmm. At the same time, we're also we've been uh, solicited by a number of companies and corporations for breakfast packs mm -hmm. uh, because they needed incentive for their workforce to come back to work. <laughs> uh, that's nice. It's very smart. Very smart. <laughs> and yeah, so, yeah. Uh, what a better way than you know every Friday morning you get this <laughs> croissant waiting for you on your yeah. desk. Um, that's uh, that's a nice way to end the week. Nice. How do you, uh, yeah, yeah, so it goes back to you having those two hats. How do you divide your week? Like, it must be so busy for you. It is very busy. It is yeah, very yeah. busy. But uh, we're lucky to have a team that is um, autonomous now. So I need minimal uh, supervision at school. Uh, I, I have yeah. a very competent uh, pedagogical coordinator who is now coordinating most of the academia mm -hmm, at mm -hmm. school. 
so I can dedicate more time to uh, representing the French bakery outside of school and to uh, develop new partnerships uh, across nice. the city. Amazing. Well, you have our audience. You know, we reach out to a lot of the expat community here. So if anyone is the owner of a bakery or no, or any type of business, actually. Any type of business yeah, yeah. from restaurants yes. to, to coffee shops. We have bread, uh, mm -hmm. sourdough bread or Everything. traditional French uh, Levin yeah. bread wow. Uh, wow. for restaurants. Uh, we have the pastries, uh, the so-called trinity of pastries, croissant and pain au chocolat and mm. raisin roll for, for coffee shops. We know Vietnamese people love sweets. Yes. Um, mm. Our triple chocolate cookie is also a killer. Mm -hmm. Don't keep the cookie jar too close to your desk. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we're happy to to count a, a lot of regular customers when they've once they've tried our concept, uh, they they come back to us every week, mm -hmm. um, and that becomes the the weekly rendezvous uh, yeah. with the students of the bakery with the team of the bakery. Really nice. nice. Thank you so much for sharing. So everybody, I encourage you to order from La Boulangerie Francaise. You're going to see the links below yeah. in, in the episode. Order. I'm going <laughs> to order a basket for sure. I'm going to try. You've, you've ever met uh, Robin? Robin Bouquet. Bouquet. Yes, yes, yes. yes. yes absolutely. It will be, yeah, your connection. Yeah, we interviewed him and yeah, very, very good guy. But definitely, I, I think you're already doing a, in the French community, you're doing a very good job at reaching out to people. So I don't know if I can help you in any way. <laughs> but help uh, the, is always appreciated. Yeah, the, the, the story is, is highly inspiring. Thank you so much for, for doing what you're doing. Uh, and I feel like, you know, to, I was trying too much to find some, some type of trouble in your life, but like you, <laughs> to have someone that is this amount of grounded, that, that has this amount of experience. I think the, you know, the, the Boulangerie Francaise is, is quite lucky to have you. You've expressed yourself very well and very inspired. So thank you so much. Well, thank you both yeah. of you for having me. It was, a, it was a pleasure. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. This is nice. Thank you so much for listening to Creators in Vietnam. If you like this episode, become a part of our mission to inspire others by leaving a five-star rating and review in Apple Podcast. Also by sharing this episode with your friends on social media. This one small act can truly make a difference in someone's life. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode and see you next time.